mindfulness mode. Go and order a load of ice, stick it in the bath, get cold. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome back to Mindfulness Mode. Great to have you with us. And I am really, really looking forward to this interview today because I'm with someone who has served as an elite Royal Marines Commando for five years, including a tour of Afghanistan in 2006. And he almost died in a life-threatening incident in Afghanistan. And then he bounced back to grow a successful 15-year career in fitness. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him about fitness and health and mindfulness and all of these topics, as well as a little bit about his life and how he almost died in that incident. So I'm here today with Cyrus Rustam. Cyrus, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. That's awesome. I'm, I'm breathing nice and slowly. I've just been in an ice bath. So I, I just spent three minutes freezing yeah. in an ice bath outside to get me in the mood for this podcast. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really in the moment right now. That is fantastic. So do you follow Wim Hof? I've done some of his breathing methods, yes. Yeah. I've tested out some of his stuff. Um, I've been doing ice baths now for around two years. Yeah. And I've actually got a sauna in my garden. And I just feel like, I mean, I'm obviously heavily into exercise, right? And I yeah. do Brazi Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is very good for bringing you into the moment. When someone's trying to strangle your neck and stop you from breathing you're not thinking about what's going on in the outside world you're not thinking about emails or deadlines or whatever you've got going on that might be causing a little bit of stress when you're doing brazilian jiu-jitsu you're, you're you're very much in the moment but for feeling wise ice bath mixed with sauna you do three minutes of ice bath 15 minutes of sauna three rounds I haven't found anything yet to be as good for uh, mental clarity and just emptying the mind um, as that. Apart from magic mushrooms, but I don't have them here to do all the time because they're illegal here in Dubai. But I oh, went to Amsterdam and, and yes, they are. Yeah, very much so. Okay, um, well, we'll be talking about that. Yeah. So what does mindfulness sure. mean to you, Cyrus? Well, to be honest with you, mindfulness is something that I am not, uh, I struggle with it, just like everyone else, right? I'm a, I'm a human, have a brain, I have that voice inside my head that can run wild like it does in all of us. And, um, you know, I, I try and use physical techniques as I've just told you about to try and bring me back into this moment. And that's really what mindfulness is for me. It's it's trying to take my head out of the past or the future and bring it into now. And so, uh, like I said, you know, it's hard for me, just like it would be for other people to do that. But I try and use uh, exercise and, and, and other things to, to help, um, to bring me into the moment, to remind me that the only time we have is is now, and how my day works is I uh, I wake up early morning and I spend some time early early morning working on creative things because I find that my mind works differently early morning, 
right? Okay. So I wake up around 4.35 a.m. and I do, do some creative work, whether it's content or, or really thinking about stuff, um, deep thought and deep work. Around 8.30 to 10 a.m., I will do a workout, and that's at my place of business. Mm-hmm. It's an exercise studio, so it's very easy for me to yeah. pick up some equipment and do a workout. And it'll typically be a resistance-based workout, okay. and that gets me in a good mood, brings me back into the moment. You know, my brain's worked hard for two, three hours in the morning, so that is kind of like my reward. So that, that resistance-based workout is that on a machine, or do you lift weights, or tell me more about lift that? weights? You lift weights, okay? Yeah, lifting, yeah, or just lifting weights. Yeah, that's like a good forty-five minutes to an hour. Actually, it rarely goes to an hour. I'll say like 35 to 45 minutes of right. pure lifting weights. Yeah. Okay. Right. And then and I'll work after that for a few more hours. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in the afternoon, this has been something that I've really been noticing, that I start getting brain fog. I don't know if my mind or my brain gets tired or if it's just in my head and I'm telling myself I'm tired. I don't know, but I just get like frustrated at some point so then I, I use exercise again, and I'll do a, a typically a cardio-based workout where I'll, it could just be going for a walk, actually, and doing some steps, or it could be some burpees, or it might be I'll get a cardio piece of a cardio equipment. Today, I mixed up various exercises and just went through them, and the cardio really hits you where, you know, you, your lungs mm-hmm. are going, you're breathing, you're sweating. That kind of clears my head again. And how long do you do the me. cardio for? Not not long. Like today was 25 minutes. Okay, yeah. And do you run yeah. as well? Is that part of what you do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I run sometimes, yeah. Not every day. Um, I'll mix up. Sometimes I'll just do burpees. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll run. Sometimes I'll walk. Um, sometimes I'll pick up some cardio equipment and just do some intervals or hill sprints, various different things in the afternoon. So have um, you again, always loved keeping in shape this way? Since I was 12 years old, there was a very particular day of my life where I got into exercise. Um, uh, just to give you a, a brief, so you understood my why my life changed, uh, why I started taking exercise very seriously. Mm-hmm. I was living in my hometown. My parents had just divorced. My mum took my two sisters and my brother to the opposite side of the country. From that day that my parents divorced, I spoke to my mum for the next 20 years, maybe a handful of times, right? Wow. So there was a, it was a traumatic event. I was living with my father and I started going off the rails, drinking alcohol, smoking weed, hanging around with the wrong people, got arrested multiple times, wasn't going to school. And I wanted to escape. I was obviously very hurt from the divorce and everything else that happened. Yeah. And... My friend walked in, and I wasn't doing any exercise at the time, right? My friend walked into school and showed me a photo. And I immediately, when I looked at that photo, somehow knew that that was my path that had just been shown. Mm-hmm. And it was a photo of my friend's older brother. And he just so happened to be a Royal Marines commando. Ah. And he... And so this 12-year-old in this situation saw that and was like, ah, that's how I can escape. So the very next day, I woke up at 5 a.m., first time I ever saw 5 a.m. in my life, from what I could remember, and went for a run. 
and I was running through my hometown. It was pitch black dark. There was no no one around, obviously. The I remember the the street lights were like orange. All the houses were blacked out because everyone was sleeping. It was freezing cold. I was in my shorts running. And I was tired, right? I was tired because I hadn't slept as much as I normally would. I wasn't going to school, so I wasn't waking up early. I was like sleeping and uh, so whatever time I wanted. I was very lazy, undisciplined, very unfit. Yet I was, I was running and I knew in my mind at some point over the course of the run, I realized even at that young age, like, oh, I'm about 13 here. Oh, I can, I can go back to my house anytime I want. I can stop running right now if I want to and walk home and go back to bed. But I knew that doing that and getting in my warm bed was accepting my current reality. And I hated my current reality. Right. So I, I figured out at a young age, like I need to do this work and push through this physical pain that I'm going through in order to achieve this um, path that the universe had shown me. Like, hey, you can, you can do this. You can escape this if you want. So I, that, that stuck with me. And I've always done fitness. There, was, there haven't been times where I've been focusing on fitness. There have definitely been times where I've been drinking too much alcohol and going down the wrong path in a sense. Um, but I always trained. And now I'm almost 38 years old. I don't drink alcohol anymore. And, and there's other things that have happened on my journey that have uh, helped me um, realize over and over again that fitness is a massive part of my life, right? And without it, I could not have gone through the things that I'd gone through, uh, not not just in a in a physical sense, uh, but in a mental sense as well. And didn't you start a you, gym during COVID? I did, yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that, because most people, I think, would think, well, maybe that was a really tough time to start it, but it really worked for you. How did that work out? Well, we didn't know COVID was going to happen. <laughs> if right. we knew, we probably wouldn't have done it. Okay. <laughs> uh, we were already so far into the investment. So um, we'd invested quite a lot of money, and mm -hmm. I borrowed money from my dad to do this. I used my life savings and my dad's money. <clears throat> I put it in. My business partner is very successful and um, so the investment for him was nothing but for me it was a lot mm -hmm. it, I remember standing outside the doors of the gym and my business partner was telling me we're going to have to go into this uh, thing called a lockdown where we all go and have to stay in our houses and I was telling him man you're crazy what are you talking about you yeah. know what happened from there right I do so I was transferring money from my bank account into the business account telling myself I ain't never going to see this money again like, this is gone. I made a promise to my business partner and friend that I would put up half the cash. I'm putting up half the cash, knowing that or thinking that I'm never going to see this again. Right. We opened the doors one week after the lockdown here in Dubai. Nobody wanted to be around people. Everyone was still scared. Yeah. We had a exercise studio. Nobody wanted to come. At some point, we had eight people that were allowed in the studio due to the distancing rules mm -hmm. that were set. Right. We were supposed to have 34 people in the studio. Yeah. We had eight. So we struggled for the first year. Okay. But about six months in, we realized that we were onto something because people kept telling us like, wow, this is really helping me get through this. And our tagline at the time was, um, find your inner hero. Mm-hmm. 
But because people kept telling me, Cyrus, this is my therapy. This is really helping me right now get through all this craziness. We changed the tagline to boxing is therapy. And that was in, that was the beginning of 2021. We opened in September, 2020. And three years on, we've expanded. We have five different concepts in the one location. We've taken two more shops on rent. We have a cafe, a cycling studio, outdoor strength and conditioning areas. We have a 600 membership base and the gym's thriving. Um, due to many factors, but a few, I think we had a part to play in as well. That's fantastic. And I'm assuming you do Brazilian jiu-jitsu there at your gym as well, do you? We don't, know. No, we don't do that. At the you gym. go elsewhere no. for that. Yeah, our gym, our studio Boxica is based, it, boxing is one of our concepts and it's based around giving people that don't want to contact, they don't want to get punched, they don't want to get bloody, they don't want to get black eye, but they like the idea of punching something and relieving uh -huh. stress. So we don't do any contact at Boxica and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is, is very much contact, you know. Right, sure. Um, yeah. Right. So that explains your website, boxica.ae, B-O-X-I-C-A, boxica.ae. And what yeah. do we find when we go to your website there? Yeah, you'll see all of our concepts. You'll be able to sign up for a class. And um, yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're obviously very limited. I'm sure your audience is global or mainly sure. in, in North America. Yeah. But um, yeah, we're we're obviously in a certain part of Dubai. Yes, where we we capture the audience that come, um, but we do we do have some classes on YouTube as well. Well, that sounds interesting. You already mentioned that you uh, uh, had this traumatic incident happen when you were in the Royal Marines. Can you tell us a little bit more about that life-threatening incident? Yes. I was in Afghanistan and I w I'd been given, listen, my experience in Afghanistan was very tame. I didn't have to shoot anyone. I didn't shoot my rifle at anyone so far in the tour. I was about six weeks in, I was on the base, <clears throat> which I'm grateful for, by the way. I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to uh, do that. Although I obviously would have given the situation, given my training and everything I'd done, but um, it didn't, it didn't, uh, happen for me. And so we were on base, we got given a routine job, which was go and pick up something from the airstrip and bring it back to, uh, the, the, the main base. Me and my friend went to the airstrip. We picked up the equipment that we were supposed to, um, collect. Now the vehicles that we were using were, were large, uh, vehicles. Mm-hmm. And one of them wasn't starting on its own. The engine wouldn't start. Mm -hmm. So what we had to do, we had to move it forward. We had to tow it, essentially, jump start it. You know what that is, right? Yeah, I do. Once it was the engine had started, we would unhook the tow bar, and then we would drive. Well, yeah. This, so I was in the front vehicle. Mm -hmm. I got out of the front vehicle. Once we jump started the rear vehicle, I walked in between the vehicles and unhooked the tow bar. Yeah. Then the rear vehicle came forward uh, and was trying to move forward. I was in between them. 
You were pinned. The guy in the rear vehicle. I was. I was. I was getting. I was getting hit multiple times. The guy in the rear vehicle come out, looked in between, saw me getting hit, went back into the rear vehicle, reversed back. Now this whole thing took, I don't know, twenty seconds. Uh-huh. The armor on the vehicle started where my head was. Uh. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but I broke my jaw <clears throat> in three places, completely crushed the whole right side of my face, oh. and my skull, my skull was was uh, cr- was broken in in many places all over. My oh. head had been crushed. Initially, I just, you know, thought it was nothing for the first few seconds. Like, uh, okay, I'm fine, and then realized like I'm not fine. Went down on the floor. Everyone was gathered around me. My friends were holding me. I had blood dripping out of my eyes, ears, nose, mouth. I couldn't oh. speak because my jaw was all messed up. And I realized that something very serious had happened. And from what everyone was saying around me and from the feeling that I had in my body, I was going to die. And I was dying. Yeah. I, I would have, if they'd have just left me there, maybe an hour, two hours tops. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a goner. So the ambulance come, take me to the hospital on base, do the scans. Right, we haven't got the doctors or the facilities here to operate on you. We're going to send you to Kandahar, which was the American base. Mm-hmm. At some point, they realized that actually, oh man, they had a hospital there that had the better facilities and better doctors for me. So they actually flew me, flew me to Oman. And um, I went into a coma and I wouldn't come out of the, I would, when they tried to wake me up, I was, I was out. So they thought, oh, it's not looking good for him. They had me in intensive care, strapped up to everything. We need to tell his father because that was my next of kin. So I'm in a coma at this point. The priest and the Royal Marines officer go to my dad's house. He's mm-hmm. at work, so they go to his work. They speak to the security guard in the compound where my dad works. And they say, we need to we need to speak to Eddie Rustam. Yeah, cool. He's in that building over there. My dad's worked there 40 years in a machine shop there in a factory. The guy on the reception calls my dad and says, you need to come outside. There's two men here to see you. That's like, all the, all the years I've worked here, this has never happened. He said, just come out the front, please, and speak to these guys. Dad comes out. Officer and pre- priest are walking across the car park. It's a large car park. My dad immediately spots the uniform and drops to his knees thinking my son's dead mm. and the, I would tell this story to people before having a son and I would have no emotion to be honest with you uh-huh. I, I knew it was probably tough for him but since having a son the thought of going through that breaks me do you know yes, what I mean I totally do um, so they told him we need to fly you out to Afghanistan he's pretty much you know it's not looking good for him um, two or three days after that, I woke up out of this coma um, and they told my dad, we are not going to fly you to Afghanistan now because he's awake. So we'll bring him back to you when he's ready. Now, I think that the military should have flown my dad out to see me, obviously, because if it was me, I mean, I would have paid for my own flight and gone out there and see my son. But um, it didn't happen like that. And I'm glad it didn't. I needed to spend this time alone in hospital here. To, to get some hard lessons that I was about to learn. Um, long story short, my hospital experience was 
two weeks in intensive care, uh, multiple head operations. I was obviously on my own out there. Um, my head had been hit, so I couldn't see properly, couldn't hear properly. I had a tube in my mouth that I tried very hard to yank out, but the nurses tied my arms down, so I couldn't. Yeah. When they did untie my arms after a week, they were stuck down. I couldn't move my arms because they'd been tied down for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, after the second operation, I stabilized. They took me to another hospital to heal. Now, in this second hospital where they took me, I was feeling quite sorry for myself. My, my head was three times the size it is now. It was completely black and completely deformed. My jaw was wired shut. I had spinal fluid dripping out of my nose when I tilt my head forward and into the back of my throat when I tip my head back. Couldn't see properly still, couldn't hear properly. Everything was doubled in my vision. Not completely doubled, but it was still doubled. It was just bringing the focus back. All the nerves were damaged in the side of my head. The doctor told me, if this spinal fluid doesn't stop dripping out your nose in a couple of days, we're going to stick this long needle into your spine to find out what's going on. I thought, oh, this gets better. I was in a room with one other guy. And this guy was disabled. And there was 20 beds in the room, but there's only one other guy in there. Mm-hmm. He was clearly disabled, had no um, function of his body. He was trying to bite himself constantly. He was making noises. He was clearly agitated. And the nurses would come and change his, um, change his diaper, feed him, everything. Couldn't do anything for himself. This nice old gentleman would walk into the hospital every day, come to my bed, smile and say, how are you? I couldn't talk. And I was uh, 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 just, uh, uh, uh. and he would go and see him. After like three, four days of this, I thought, who's this, who's this guy and who's this guy that comes to see him? So I asked the nurse, uh, one day, what I didn't ask her speaking, I wrote down in my notebook, can you tell me what the story is there? And she said, yeah, the guy in the bed was involved in an accident a few months back. He was driving a car with his mum and sister in the car. And uh, it was a bad accident. Unfortunately, his mother and his sister both died. He's disabled for life. And... The reason why he keeps trying to bite himself is he's trying to kill himself. He feels so guilty about killing his uh, mother and sister. And that old man that comes to see him every day is his dad. Oh. And he was coming to my bed first with a smile on his face and asking me if I was okay. Right. And I was, didn't understand that. My mind could not comprehend this human, uh, and also, I, I felt shame in myself because I thought, wow, here I am feeling sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. What? And I, I felt really bad immediately. It was like, wow. So that hit me hard, obviously. Yeah. I stopped feeling sorry for myself. I uh-huh. lifted myself up and I said, I'm going to get through this. And the incident was running through my head multiple times. I mean, like that, like hundreds of times a day, this thing's running through my mind. I'm going through it step by step. And since learning about this other gentleman in the bed and the father, I had, the, I had this um, moment where I could take myself almost out of my situation and look at it from above and see that I was going to be okay and that uh, I needed to stop playing victim. So instead of being in the moment, in the emotions, in this victim uh, mentality, I took myself out of it and I went through 
the incident bit by bit again. And what I realized is that when I was lying on the floor, annoyed and frustrated and angry and, and screaming at the top of my voice, I wasn't screaming in pain. I was screaming because I was 21 years old. I was about to die. And when you're about to die, you have complete and utter mental clarity, full clarity on the moment, no ego, no, I don't care what this person thinks or that person thinks, I'm going to die. And I realized that I hadn't lived my life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. All I'd done was gone to school, gone in the military, and I was sitting on this desert floor about to die, and I was, to be honest, pissed off and yeah. angry and yeah. screaming. And I was squeezing the hands of my friends that had gathered around me and they had to let go because I was squeezing that tight. I was that yeah. annoyed. So in, in, in the moment when I was in the hospital bed and I heard about this gentleman, I realized like, oh, okay, that was a close one. However, that moment just before dying is going to happen again. One day in the future, I'm going to die. And I don't want to feel like I just felt on the desert floor. Right. So I need to now live my life in a way where I don't feel regret. And that lesson and those gentlemen that I met in the hospital has stayed with me ever since. And wow. What I'm, a powerful story. Wow. That's just incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, Cyrus. Thanks for sharing that. You are an incredible storyteller. I want to ask <laughs> you about the magic mushrooms you mentioned. And I know you said you no longer consume alcohol. So I'm interested yeah. in why you decided not to do that and what your experience is like with magic mushrooms. Absolutely. I stopped drinking alcohol because it was not serving me anymore. I took it at a young age through the military and through traveling the world when I was young and I was using it for fun and for confidence. When I got older, I found that alcohol was not making me more confident. It was it was making me the opposite of confident. Right. It was putting me into my shell. Yes. And I was like, I, I'm better sober. Like, why am I doing it? And it was just kind of habit at that point. Yeah. And when I met my wife, she made me realize that I needed to up my game in life mm -hmm. for a few different reasons. Not by telling me, just by being and uh, I decided that I would, would reduce alcohol drastically. And then years later, I decided to cut alcohol. And I can tell you 100%, when I made the decision and committed to quitting alcohol, even though at the time I wasn't drinking it too, too often, mm -hmm. a lot of things changed in my life. A what lot changed? of things changed in what my changed? life. What changed? Full clarity of where I was going in my life. Right. Full clarity. I spent, I was more productive, way more productive. I would make decisions easier and faster. I got into the best physical shape I've ever been in my whole life. I slept better, right? And I wasn't doing it that often, maybe once a month. Mm -hmm. But something happened when I made the decision and fully committed not to drink alcohol, everything. I started earning more money. Like some things just started happening. Right. And it didn't just happen overnight. It's not like I just woke up and went, I'm not drinking and all this stuff come to me. But over the last year and a half, things have been clicking in my life differently, ah. way differently. And so, um, yeah, that's the alcohol thing. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. Like back in the day when I was in the military and traveling, I think I was drinking enough for about five people. Mm. You know, we, 
we, we would just drink like crazy and, and a part of me was just like ah, done with this like yeah you know um the magic mushrooms before the magic mushrooms i did something called the landmark forum okay are you familiar no man i tell everyone i speak to about this and i'm surprised about how many people have never heard of it it's insane it's a three-day seminar they do it started in the in the u.s mm -hmm. and two and a half million people have done it worldwide oh and certain yeah and main, mainly uh americans because it started there it was born there now mm -hmm. it's global and um this is an interesting story so because of my parents divorced i had a belief that relationships don't work right this was a deep-rooted belief. It was like a part of me. I would tell everyone I'm never going to get married. I would live my life like, you know, single. And I met my wife, fell in love, but I still had these problems. I would wake up every morning and I would dream and, and visualize divorcing her. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it, was a, it was a big problem. I couldn't get it out of my mind. Yeah. And I was um, reading a lot of business books at the time. I was reading a book and the guy that authored the book, and he's a billionaire, by the way, he's worth about $7 billion. Mm -hmm. He said, I will always look at my life as before the forum and after the forum. And one of the reasons why my business is so successful is because of the forum. So I was like, what is this forum? Went mm -hmm. online, saw that they were having a forum in Dubai a week later. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. This forum thing that this guy's talking about is here. So I immediately paid for the ticket and carried on reading my book. The forum was nothing to do with business. It was, the, it was no business talk at all. It was all about going into yourself, figuring out why you are the way you are, talking about the voice inside your head. After the first day, I almost didn't go back the second day. Mm -hmm. Went back the second day, got a bit more interesting things happening. Went back the third day, they said, later on this evening, you're going to get the biggest realization you've ever had in your life. And got a bit closer to the time, I wasn't feeling anything. Got a bit more closer to the time, things were getting a bit heated, they were talking louder, and pe some people were crying at this point. I was like, this, this isn't going to work on me. Yeah. They, t they, they told us to call our parents the day before, if you don't have a relationship with your parents it's very important because they brought you into this world you can't live your life fully if you haven't got a relationship with your parents if you don't speak to your parents go and speak to them they told you how to do it what to say Yeah. I wasn't speaking to my mum I spoke to her 20 odd years I mean you're joking aren't you call my mum I told my wife they're telling me to call my mum my wife's like you should call her I'm like nope no way anyway on the minute on the second that they said you're going to have a realisation a bullet hit me and all of the stuff that I was carrying dropped. And I realized, I can't explain it, to be honest. Uh, I've got my hairs are standing up on my arm talking about it because I'm remembering. Mm. It's like you're flying for weeks after it. All the baggage, all the mental baggage you're carrying from all the traumas and things that have happened in your life, you realize that you don't have to carry them anymore. Mm. You can drop them and move on and be whoever the hell you want to be. And so you're like, and you, you see yourself, you see why you are the way you are. 
And I saw a little bit, ah, uh, my parents divorcing. Um, it's probably got something to do with these thoughts I have about divorce. Sure. Anyway, after, after it, I call my mom and do the whole thing with her. And now we speak. But I couldn't still admit that the problem in my relationship was me. I couldn't say it out loud. Mm -hmm. My ego was still just like holding on. So I went to therapy because I kind of knew at that point, like, oh, maybe it is me. Did like a load of sessions with this therapist. He was very patient with me. And on the last day of the therapy, wasn't supposed to be the last day, I had more sessions. He was trying to get the answer out of me. And I hadn't said it yet. And he said, Cyrus, do you get it yet? And I went, the problem's me? He went, yes, problem's you. And from that moment, I never thought about divorcing my wife ever again. The thought never even entered my mind. Well, that's incredible. That. It, it was, the problem was me, right? And I didn't yeah. see it because I'd lived through it. <laughs> And um, go, to go back to your question about the magic mushrooms, I felt like I cleared all that, but mm -hmm. I started hearing a lot about magic mushrooms and decided that I wanted to go on a retreat. Okay. So I went, I flew to Amsterdam uh, with a company called Kiyumi, mm -hmm. and it was a proper facilitated thing. They, um, they give you a heroic dose of mushrooms. It's a dose that makes sure you have no foot in reality. Right. We took them and I didn't have any foot in reality, I'll tell you that. About an hour into it, they come round and, and tap you to see if you need more. And I felt like I was in a different universe. Mm. And the tapping was then pulling me back to earth. And I, I landed back on earth and she said, do you need more? And I was like, nope, I don't need any more of this. Um, so couple of things I'll mention about the magic mushrooms is obviously a lot of things happened, but there's two things particularly that were very beneficial. One, the concept of Cyrus, physically and mentally, how what Cyrus was, it's almost like I felt who I was, slipped away from me, and I forgot what Cyrus was. I was like, I was confused for a while, like, what is Cyrus, Cyrus, Cyrus? I kept saying it over in my mind, I was like, I feel like I know what it is, but I don't know what it is. It's gone. I've lost. And I was flying through the universe, alive, but empty. Just flying through the universe, enjoying everything with, I couldn't, I couldn't have told you what Earth was, what humans were, what Cyrus was at the time. So there was an ego death, a, a bodily death. It happens to a lot of people that go on magic mushrooms. Some people fall off a cliff and die and all kinds of things happen. For me, it just slipped away. Hmm. And another prominent, so that clears the mind. Like after it, you're, you're like, it's like a blank slate again. Right. Another thing that happened was I had a son at the time and I knew how much I loved my son. Yeah. And I could see how, how my son looked at me. And I was in my body looking at my son and I was in my son's body looking at me at the same time. And I was also me as a baby looking up at my mom and I was also in my mom looking at me. So I was in all four bodies, feeling the feeling of and love of being a parent, knowing how much I love my son, realizing that my mom loved me the same, or still does love me the same, being her firstborn. And it reminded me 
like, hey, it's your mom. Don't forget, one, at some time not that long ago, you were a baby and she was looking after you. Yeah. And that reminded me again of, of that, um, you know, the love for the parent. So I do have a, a good relationship with my mom now. It's probably not a great relationship like somebody that had spent their whole life with their mom because mm-hmm. we had so many years apart. But we speak, she comes to Dubai to visit me. So it's, it's all good. Wow, that's that's great that things are so much better for you now. That's that's fantastic. Now I'm looking at the time and I realize that we have to begin to wrap things up, but I want to ask you a question about bullying. And if you could tell us a short story about maybe a bullying incident or some story around bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference. Hmm. That's an interesting question. I have been bullied before, but at the age that it happened, wouldn't have been able to have told you what mindfulness was. Yes. Um, I, I believe that a lot of the things they teach you in school are actually very irrelevant to life. Um, so uh, if I if I was mindful at the time and I had more awareness, then it wouldn't have bothered me so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, as a as a younger you know human, it's it's difficult to, to process things the same when you've had sure. experience as an adult. But I wished I, I wished that they taught things at school that were more um, usable in life, like mindfulness. Yes. Okay, and other things like fi- how to manage finances and how to think positively and how to have goals and how to uh, and how to meditate. Uh, do you know what I mean? How to yeah, breathe properly. Yeah. Nobody taught me how to breathe. I mean, you know. The yeah. first time I did a breathing session with someone, I was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize this was so powerful. Yeah. Breathing. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, so, um, yeah, I for sure would have got through the situation if I could, could breathe and be and, and, and be a little bit more mindful. But right. I do wish that they, they taught people. And, and I'll just leave you with this. Like, I believe that it's my responsibility to teach my son these things. It's not school's yes. responsibility. It's not anyone else, not the teachers. No one's going to teach you in this thing. I'm taking that responsibility as a parent to to make sure my son understands mindfulness, breathing, right. Right. meditation, whatever else. Yeah. How so, old's your son? He's one and a half. Oh, he's one and a half. Okay, yeah. I remember when my son was one and a half, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. was I was passionate thinking the same kinds of things. I'm going to teach him mindfulness. I'm going to teach him how to defend himself, how to how to survive, how to win, you know, all this kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But then you you figured out that he didn't want to listen to his dad. <laughs> <laughs> He's always been pretty dad. good about listening to me. Uh really? yeah, okay. I think yeah, it's been pretty amazing because a lot of kids, especially during their teens, they kind of turn off. But he didn't do that. He was he was pretty pretty good to listen to me. So wow. yeah, I oh, feel really privileged. Yeah. How old is he? He's twenty two. Wow, awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. You must yeah, be really sure. proud of him. I am incredibly proud of him. Yeah. 
Yeah, I want to, as we move forward in the interview, Cyrus, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Oh, my wife, easy. Okay, your wife. Okay, my second question is about emotions and how mindfulness has helped you deal with your emotions differently. Oh, I mean, that's not a 30 second answer. Yeah. It has absolutely helped me deal with my emotions. And it's something that I'm not, I haven't mastered yet either. You know, I'm, I'm still reminding myself on a daily basis that I need to breathe and, and, and process things slowly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, you've talked a fair bit about breathing and it, it's interesting that you mentioned you do Wim Hof breathing. Can you tell us a little bit about the Wim Hof breathing that you do? Yeah, um, when I when it's uh, when you say Wim Hof, Wim Hof style of breathing is one uh, method of breathing. Yes, it's actually quite quite fast, and and, and it's um, uh, and it brings you into a certain state. But there's yeah. thousands of different ways to breathe, right? Um, Wim Hof is one. I prefer to slow breathe, and it would be a deep inhalation through the nose only. Then it would be a long, slow exhalation. And if you're listening to this right now and you've never really focused on your breathing before, I urge you to do 10 breaths like this. In through the nose, all deep breath, hold at the top for two to three seconds, and then let it out slowly. And your goal is to try and exhale for 10 seconds. If you do this, not even 10 times. If you do this five times, this breath five times, you're going to be in a completely different state. And that has helped me massively over the years. And another one is box breathing. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with three seconds inhalation, three seconds hold, three seconds exhalation, three seconds hold. Again, do that. I think that one you need a bit longer. To, to kind of feel the effects, but you will, your mind will slow down, you'll feel good, and you'll be be able to think more clearly on the situation um, rather than just be wrapped up in the emotions of it. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing this, Cyrus. My next question is about a book. Is there a book that you would recommend that is somehow related to mindfulness? Oh, so with books, I'll say something really quickly. I've read over 500 books, and I do believe in the power of them. But I also believe that books will come to you at the right time. So, so many books that have changed my life, but they've changed my life in that moment. And then another book comes along when I need another book later in life. Recently, very recently, I've been struggling with mindfulness because I've been trying to get so much work done. Mm -hmm. And at some point, your brain just shuts off and you're, just, you're spinning your wheels and you're not really going anywhere. And one of my coaches told me, you should read this book and spend some time in the day not doing anything as well as read the book. So you read the book at one point, but then you spend another time not reading, not listening, not on your phone, not doing anything, just doing nothing. And the book was called The Daily Stoic. Oh, yes, I've heard of it great okay. one that the, the author Ryan Holiday uh, oh, I right. believe it is yeah um, you, you've, he's a very famous author right yes he is um, 
you know, he, um, he he basically takes quotes and, and philosophies from uh, the past, Marcus Aurelius, Cicero, all these kind of people, puts it into a book. And it really helped me because it talks a lot about money, drive for success, needs, wants, mindfulness, what's really important in life. And it helped me a lot. Over the last, literally, like, I'm still not finished with the book, but that, that's helped me a lot. And are there any apps that you would recommend? Uh, I haven't used any apps, to be honest. Okay. Well, all of this will be in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And just before we say goodbye, I just want to ask you if you have any final words of advice for our Mindful Tribe listener, Cyrus. Uh, apart from the breathing and exercise, obviously, um, if you haven't tried an ice bath yet, I recommend you go somewhere or go and order a load of ice Stick it in the bath, get cold. That, that has an amazing way of bringing you into the moment uh, like nothing else. Totally agree. Yeah, <laughs> totally agree. I, I just love it myself. And I do yeah. a lot of the things that you've talked about today, Cyrus, in my own life. And I just want to thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today. No, I thank you for having me. Really do. I appreciate yeah. it. You're most welcome. Bye now. Thank you. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening today to the Mindfulness Mode podcast. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you go over to Apple and would you leave a comment? Would you subscribe, leave a comment and uh, just leave a review for the podcast? That would help me so much. All of those reviews really help to boost how many people hear the podcast and how many people benefit from the podcast. So if you would do that, I would be so grateful. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.